We talk about our much anticipated road test results of the Subaru Ascent, discuss the all new Audi e-tron and the Lucid electric car, and answer audience questions next on Talking Cars. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode. I'm Mike Monticello. I'm Mike Quincy. And I'm Jennifer Stockberger. Well, I got another full docket of topics and questions for us to talk about today. But can I take a quick sidebar on a personal note? Oh, sure. Um, it's your show. Go thank on. you. <laughs> um, related to that and all this stuff we have to talk about, you know, longtime viewers and listeners might remember that we used to do the show uh, every other week or yep. so. It wasn't a strict schedule. And then we talked about doing it once a week, which is what we've been doing now for a little while. But when we were thinking about that, I'm like, how are we ever going to come up with enough topics every week? But... <laughs> You know, we have. It's worked yeah. out really well. Yeah. And actually, a lot of it has to do with the audience because you guys have been giving us great questions. So keep those questions coming to TalkingCars at iCloud.com. We love to hear from you guys. And, of course, we love the video submissions, too. But And we're going to get to some of those questions later on the show. Yeah. But let's start with in the news. And this week uh, in the news, shocker, <laughs> electric cars. <laughs> All right, I got to laugh. Yeah, that wasn't right. rehearsed. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Point I'm going, I'm going while I'm ahead. But anyway, this uh, startup company, startup electric, like luxury electric car maker, Lucid, yep. uh, it, it's announced that it receive, it's going to receive about a billion dollars, I think $1 billion, billion from a Saudi Arabia investment fund to help it launch its first electric car. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, that's not chump change. I mean, that's uh, a lot of money. And then, of course, two weeks ago, we talked about the uh, Mercedes EQC, mm -hmm. uh, the electric SUV that's coming. And this past week, Audi announced uh, that it's it's a first ever fully production electric car, and that's the e-tron SUV. Right. I mean, these are I'm noting a trend here. Yeah, yeah. these are established <laughs> automakers. And I mean, yeah, is this is the this the turning point? Is this the real deal now? Or electric cars becoming something that's you know can be taken seriously? Yeah, so you, you know you have your Lucids and your Teslas, but these are like you say, these are Audi and you know Porsche has announced one and Jaguar, and so yeah, we're seeing like you say established automakers putting an all electric luxury brand or luxury vehicle in their lineup. So so perhaps some of the production stuff that we've seen maybe better, you right. know, established practices, plants, etc. Now the e-tron, so this is a vehicle that's sized between the Q5 and the right. Q7. Starting price is seventy four thousand eight hundred. It won't be here till not as expensive. Yeah, well, second yeah, quarter. That's, that's of the thing with all these EVs is the so price. many of them. They're so they're so expensive. Right. Yeah. Well, but I mean, we talked about this yesterday, and one thing you said that I thought was very interesting was that quite often technology has Starts to start at the, top. at the top and trickles down, right. and that's you know yes, we already have the Chevrolet Bolt. Uh, but beyond that, you know, most of the electric cars are pretty expensive, but maybe they're going to, they get more of them out there, the price, the technology will start coming down. Right. And it may not even be that we get electric cars at the, the commodity level, but some of the technologies, battery technology, um, 48 volt architecture, maybe they, they, you know, perfect that before it comes down. Right. Things that we all will be able to take advantage of in, you know, more modest level priced cars, yeah. let them work right. it out. This is one of the troubles that I have with, with all of these, that the, the brand names that you just rattled off yeah. are really high-end stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about big money here. This, this is not 
for it to be a commodity, as you talked about, it has to be right. affordable. It has to be, I mean, even our Chevrolet Bolt, I think, was like $38,000. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... that's And that was the reasonably priced That's one. still really expensive, <laughs> yeah. for, right. for what you, you got, which was you, a pretty small you, car. You know, there is a $7,500 tax credit, you know, available mm-hmm. uh, on most of these cars. Uh, so, I mean, there's that. Um, you know, but you're right. There are some some interesting cars coming. BMW iX3. Right. That's an electric electric version of the X3. The Jaguar I-Pace, the Polestar One, which is Volvo's electric car brand, and of course this Porsche Taycan. And I mean, Audi is saying that you know uh, that 30. It thinks about 30 percent of its customers in the U.S. will go electric by 2025. Right. Um, you know, that's that's a that's a pretty big number. Yeah, it is. And I and I. I'm not sure it will move that fast, I, but I, I do think, so think we'll all get advanced. But also, but, look, but I mean, look at cars. just glancing at your notes and looking at <laughs> yeah. my notes, they're kind of saying the same things. I mean, the, in the second quarter of, of 2018, uh, EV's share of, of new car sales stood at 1.6% right. in North America. So, you know, the numbers always fluctuate 1.5, 1.6, below 2%. But and and that's combining plug-in hybrid plug-in hybrids right. with electric cars, which is which is really right. that's together. Right. Uh, uh, some some industry analysts say that uh, GM sells about uh, fifteen to eighteen thousand Chevrolet volts a year. Uh, EVs account for just 05 percent of GM's total U.S. car sales. Um, Toyota sells thirty thousand Camrys a month. Right. <laughs> And to put it down yeah. to kind of normal yeah. people's level, I mean, a camera, a camera, in 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 most cases, it's more affordable, you know, than than a, than a, a Tesla right. Or, right. or or any of these other guys that you're right. you're rallying off. I mean, everybody uh, admires Tesla, the Model Three, but it's still it's still they've yet to deliver the thirty five thousand right. dollar Model Three. Um, so so that you know the, the, again that that kind of the whole thing about affordable EVs is is still questionable. I mean they're definitely part of the future. It's coming. it's coming. It's coming. And to that end, we're going to be buying more electric cars, including this Audi e-tron, as soon as it becomes available. Yeah, we have we have four new electric chargers here yeah. just to keep up with yeah. everything that's coming. So, so we're getting yeah. ready. They're coming, and, and we're going to be we're <laughs> going to be ready room. for them. Yeah. So let's move on to our next topic, uh, which is at the track. And this week we're going to talk about the 2019 Subaru Ascent Limited, uh, which we just finished testing. It came off of our test program. Right. Tons of interest. On Tons this of car. interest. We've gotten a lot of questions from uh, the audience about uh, about this car. Yep. Subaru needed this. It's a three-row mid-sized SUV. They haven't had one since the Tribeca, which you know didn't do very well on its own. And, that's, and that's the car that shall not be named. If they're, <laughs> if they're going to compete with you know the Toyota Highlander, the Honda Pilot, the Mazda CX-9, the yeah. Kia Sorento, you got to have a good three-row SUV. So, uh, Quince, let's start with you. Uh, what you know? What do you think of this new Subaru Ascent? Well, uh, overall, in, in our testing, the, the Ascent did did pretty well. Right. It's it's roomy. It's pretty quiet. Uh, the controls aren't a total nightmare, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and I think it's going to be very competitive in this field. Yeah. Uh, as you said, Subaru totally needs this. Uh, as as for me, um, I was very disappointed in the way it drove. The the steering to me felt too loose. The 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 the, the front end just felt so detached from 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 the road. It, it it was not very satisfying for me to drive, especially in the highway. It seemed to wander around. And Subaru knows how to build cars with good steering. The Outback, the Legacy, the WRX, the WRX certainly great driving yeah. cars. And so for me, it, it, it this the that the driving experience of the Ascent was was very was was a real letdown. Well, I mean, I agree with you to some extent. I mean, yes, the steering, uh, you know, is a little bit vague. 
and the suspension's a little bit mushy. But that also goes with, you know, it, it has a great ride. I mean, it, it, you can just right, drive there's a over balance potholes. there, right, yeah. And keep in mind, I mean, the cars it's competing against, they're not exactly great driving vehicles either. You don't think of a Honda Pilot as an exciting car <laughs> or a Toyota Highlander. Right. Um, you know, so I, I'm not sure if, if the average customer is going to be really thinking that, right, you know, they're not, they're not looking to throw this car into a corner you know, with real vigor, you but, know but we'll, I mean? but we'll often criticize oh, any yeah. car, whether it's they're sporty or not, right. for having kind of vague, lifeless steering. And that's that's the one real you downside still need that to I know see. Where it is, right? yeah, yeah, well, it's not like it's dangerous or anything no, like that. It's no, just not, not it's just not a very precise but instrument. I, I mean, I drove it again okay. last night just, just to make sure. And, and as I, I pulled into the parking lot <clears throat> this morning, I was flipping through the logbook and, and I kept seeing, you know, loosey goosey steering, vague steering. I, I mean, you know, as, as we, as we, you know, we talk about how we test cars. It's a jury of people. It isn't just one person deciding this car's good. This car's bad. Um, so I, I guess I, my, I feel good that my, my assessments of the steering of this car are not. You know, completely off base. Good I'm job. not insecure, am I? <laughs> Jen, what do you think of it? Well, I'm going to approach it from a family standpoint, which I expect many buyers will be. Some really nice features. Access to even the third row is really nice. It kind of tumbles and slides or folds and slides. Lots of clear access. Top tether anchors for child seats in the third row, which is not something we always see. Um, a kind of a squarer shape. Um, good visibility, mm -hmm. good car. That means it maximizes cargo. And then, of course, eyesight, you know, standard right. eyesight. So um, a lot of safety built into that car as well. Um, and should benefit from a good Subaru reliability record. Right. Um, now, the downside being it. that, you know, this is an all-new model with right. a brand-new engine. This is a 2.4-liter horizontally opposed turbocharged four-cylinder. For those that don't know, horizontally opposed. If you think of a normal engine in a V, the cylinders are up in a V, horizontally opposed. Those cylinders come out 180 Side degrees. Reason. So the, the, the point why Subaru does that is for a lower center of gravity, and it's kind of a Subaru thing. Mm -hmm. And a Porsche thing. And a Porsche thing. <laughs> but anyway, so what's what I really liked about it was it has this 260 horsepower engine. We're used to things like the Forester and the Impreza, the Crosstrek, not really having a lot of power. But this thing yeah. has some good power. You know, well, it needs to. Really yeah. nice low end torque. Um, and it's that's one still of, kind of a little bit of the peaky turbocharged, you know, feeling the surge and well, right. I, I said I, that. I thought you gotta get launch I, it right. Yeah, yeah, but once you get going, it's fine. And of course, yep. it's in a world of uh, competing against V6s. Most of its competitors right. have V6s. But I think the engine does really well. And I think one of the other interesting things about it is that it has one of the nicest uh, interiors in terms of fit yes, and finish in nice. this segment. Yep. I think mm -hmm. Subaru did a great job on that. Yep. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I like Subarus. My wife and I have owned three Subarus, right. two, <laughs> two legacy GT wagons and a six-cylinder Outback, a, a former test car of yep. ours, actually. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really big on Subarus, but, but, the, but I just think they, they missed this one really important detail. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I see what you're saying, but I think... it'll certainly be reflected in the score. Absolutely. It'll be reflected in the score. Uh, it'll be out. Our full road test results will be up at consumerreports.org soon. The one thing I will say is I, I see what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. But I think for the average person, right. they're going to think of and this for that as just a nice driving right. family vehicle. And I, th I think they will still be very happy. with A lot of parents who are escaping yeah. to their quiet, oh, yeah. and, and quiet I think that, ascent. I think it'll, it'll, sell, it'll sell really well. Right. I think oh, this will I be a really too. successful I car. I think it will, too. All right. Yep. All right. Let's move on to our next segment, which is audience questions. Uh, you know, we do our best every week to answer your questions, so we're going to actually ask a favor of you guys. Uh, we're working on a story about uh, repair shops across the country, and what we're looking for is, you know, uh, to get 
feedback from you guys about your strategy for haggling uh, your auto repair price. Uh, maybe a lot of you don't know that, but you can actually haggle the price of your auto repair. You know, talk to the guy who's repairing the car. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can come to a little bit of negotiation on the price, especially when you're hit with that huge bill. Uh, so we have some tips, but we want to hear from you guys. What's your strategy? What are your tips when you go in there and you, you want to just negotiate that price a little bit? Send those to talkingcars at iCloud.com. You'll be doing me a big favor. <laughs> you got to you got to pay to play here. Right. And <laughs> also, um, make sure you give us your full name, your age, where you live, and whether we have permission uh, to publish uh, what you tell us. Okay. So let's right. move on to our first. Um, we're going to start with a video question. This is Ben from Ohio, and we're gonna we're gonna start with this one. It's going to start a new segment of the show. We're calling "Wrong or Not Wrong." Okay. So uh, Andrew, <laughs> why don't you play the play the tape for us? Hey, Talking Cars, this is Ben from Ohio. Uh, I'd love to see your article on uh, used electric cars because uh, I purchased a used Ford Focus electric uh, about two years ago. I did have uh, one thing in the article that I uh, wanted to make a point of correction on. Um, in the article, you said uh, people who buy EVs will have to buy a level two charging station. And that's not strictly true. If you drive less than about 30 miles a day, I think you'll find that a level one charger might work just fine for you. I've done it for two years with my car and I've never had any kind of issues. So I just wanted to, to put that out there so people know they don't necessarily have to spend the money. I love the show. Uh, thanks so much for taking my video. Okay, Jen, so we're going to throw this to you. Okay. Were okay. we wrong or not wrong? So not, no, we weren't wrong, but we did, and maybe contrary, we didn't necessarily recommend level two chargers in that story. We were trying to give an example of what the costs were associated with having an electric car. So we used L level two as an example. So in Ben's case, he's perfectly happy with his level one. Um, the difference being level one yeah, is Yeah, can like, you explain yeah. level one charging versus level two charging? Well, these, these I was trying know. there. Oh, okay. <laughs> I no. seemed like you weren't going to. So level one, 120 volt, just like you're <laughs> plugging in something to your regular socket at home. So level two is more like your clothes dryer, 240 volt. What, what Ben didn't say in his segment or in his question was, the charging times are notably different, which oh, is why many people huge. opt for a yeah. level two. And I saw estimates anywhere from one-fifth of the time to one-third of the time. So hours less charging time when you're using a level two charger with that increased voltage. So for Ben, the level one is working. Yeah, he's driving less than right. 30 miles right. a day. Right, he's driving less than 30 miles a day. So that means two things. One, he's not probably coming up from empty, right. no charge to full right. charge. He doesn't need tons of hours. He's just topping it off every right. night. But it's something to consider when you're thinking about electric vehicles. Do you have the charge time? Do you, are you someone that goes home at night and doesn't really go out much after that? So you can afford to have it sit for those hours and recharge? or you know, if you're somebody with children, perhaps you're running errands or you have something you do in the evenings, you may not have all of those hours and then level two might be. Right. So for most people, I think we're hearing level two is the way they've gone. Um, that's why we used it in the example. Either one is fine. Just be aware that the charging times are, are vastly but different. You bring, a, you bring a, a good point with, with children. I mean, if you're if you're in a household with one car and your one car is an EV. Right. Then, then you're always kind of maybe running that risk. If you get, if you, if you, you go to work, you pick up your kids, you, you do errands, you come home, you got to charge up, 
and you don't have any juice left and you have some right. kind of emergency or right. something like right. that, that you have right. to go out. Yep. So, so that's also something to consider when you're thinking about getting a level one or level two charger. Right. And I just want to emphasize that what we said in the story wasn't that you if you bought an electric car, you're going to have to buy this level two charger. Correct, and that's we what I think what I'm saying. We were basically, we were basically yeah. throwing it out there that you, you know, you might want to buy this right. level two charger, and then you're looking at a cost of between three hundred fifty to a thousand dollars to have one installed right. in your garage. So I, that's what that's what we were really trying to say. And I think level two makes a, an electric vehicle more livable. Absolutely. You know, we talked about the, right. the keys, two hundred mile range. To me, level two makes it a more right. livable. And, and the whole point of the article was. As a used vehicle, right. these EVs can be a steal. Right. Yeah. So, right. just in case anyone had read and the Ben that. Ben loves his. Yeah. We're happy that yeah. it, you know, and, and we think it's great. And, and for thanks him, for reading the article. Yes, thanks, Ben. So let's move on to our next video question. This is Jonathan from Ontario, Canada. Let's take a look at the clip. Hi, talking cars. I just finished my student loan, so I'm looking for a new car. I have a budget of about forty thousand Canadian. And I'm looking for a sporty sedan that has great handling, but still has a smooth ride and a quiet cabin. So I've been looking at something like the Toyota Camry XSE V6, or maybe even the Kia Optima uh, SX Turbo. Though I'm also not opposed to a slightly used luxury car like an A4 or a Cadenza. So I'd love to hear your recommendations on what you think I should take a look into. Thanks, looking forward to your answers. Okay, now uh, we're gonna play Jen's favorite Jen's game. I think game. you actually invented this. So, so yeah, as no. Jen likes, we didn't uh, tell each other what Correct. we were gonna pick for uh, our, our choice for Jonathan. Um, so, we're gonna play that game. I don't know what you guys are picking. Quince, let's start with you. What do you suggest for Jonathan? Well, um, a lot of good choices. Uh, this is a segment that I, this is kind of a, a sporty-ish car segment, not too, not too expensive, but still fun to drive. I, I really do like the idea of a used Cadenza because this is a car that, that kind of flies under the radar. However, my pick for this oh, would be a used Infiniti Q50 ah, because it's more engaging to drive than the Cadenza. Uh, I think it looks nice. I like the interior. I think the V6 engine, if you can get that one, because there's also a turbo four-cylinder. But if you can get the V6, it's really satisfying. Uh, reliability is kind of hit and miss with this car. Um, so that's one of the advantages of the Kia. Uh, the Kia is also a little So quieter, you're recommending an unreliable but car. I'm, I'm just, <laughs> poor Jonathan. I'm just, I was looking at this and I was thinking, and then we had to, I guess, to do the Canadian conversion money thing. That's my choice. All right. Jen, what do you got? Okay, so we didn't agree on that. So I would go, and, he, and so he said about 40, 40 K Canadian, Canadian which is about 31, 32,000 yeah, American dollars. Yes, okay. so Just what I said was Mazda 6. Oh my gosh, so, that's my choice. Oh, see? You stole it. See, we're on the same page. So the so reason- tell us why. So he said Camry- And then I'll Camry, tell you why you're, I'll tell you was, why you're wrong. He was talking about higher end, XSE, Camry, Optima. I didn't- think those were particularly sporty. Well, I will say the XSE is actually a pretty sporty yeah. driving okay. car. That Much one more is, so than people think. Yeah, and, and uh, um, it, it handles actually pretty well, and the V6 is great. I will say the Cadenza didn't make any sense to me. I didn't understand the Cadenza right. in there. But XSE Camry, 34 to right. start. So, it's so I was already, his, right. that's why I kind of, you didn't let me get to that part. <laughs> because I have to talk. You I'm do. The, I'm, I'm in charge. So, it's my show. So what I said, though, Mazda 6 Grand Touring. Exactly. That's what I got. Look at this right here. Oh Mazda 6 Grand Touring. 29200 $29, It gets you into the Turbo One, yes. which we rented. Not the one we tested, but that we really liked. And we, we actually, we all loved it. We actually. all loved that no car. Question. So the sportiness. But benefiting from Mazda's, you know, redesign, quieter, more refined, grand touring, 
right in his ballpark price range. Sporty, yeah. yet comfortable. And good on Jonathan for paying off his student loans. Uh, you know, he still looks pretty young. So he does. Paid them off Congratulations, quick. John. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to another question. This is Gerard R. He says, you mm -hmm. talked about the Lexus UX in episode 168. None of you seemed complimentary, but you said it would be purchased for the test program. Is there any sort of triage for selecting cars to test? Since none of you liked it that much, maybe the UX is DOA for the testing program and the money slash time could be spent on another model or variant. Mm. I, I mean, I think actually this is an awesome question. It is a good question. Because mm -hmm. it actually makes sense. I could see someone thinking that. But so I'm going to throw it to you, Quince. You are a prolific uh, buyer of cars for us here at the <laughs> Consumer Reports Auto Test Center. Um, tell us a little bit about why we would buy this car, even though it appears we don't really like it that much from our first drive of it. Well, we definitely study the market. We understand what people are buying, what people are interested in, uh, uh, hence why we go out and like buy every new pickup that gets redesigned because, well, quite frankly, that's what a lot of people are buying. Now, in terms of, of the UX, when we, we decide which, which model or trim line or even options to choose, we'll talk to the manufacturers. We'll get an idea of what, uh, what combinations of trim lines and options will, will represent the most mainstream model. So, you know, it, just in general, that's how we kind of make these decisions about you know where to spend our millions of dollars every year on on well, let's on not test brag cars. about it. Okay. Well, but but it means one of the things that we do here at Consumer Reports we but buy I, our own But I think cars. you're sort of burying the lead though, Quince, because actually while all that's true, the real thing is that we try to uh, test every new model that comes on the market. Right. Or, so what you're saying or, is I didn't answer the question properly. Well, it's more about every <laughs> new model and every significantly re redesigned model. You know, even if it might be a fairly slow seller. Uh, we want to try and get in that new car to see, yes, the technology, see what's different about it, because we want to have that for you know, our model page. We want to be able to have a road test on all these cars. We want to have it for our special interest publications. We want to have profiles on all these cars. And it's helpful if we have actual test numbers for all of these cars. So that's why we, that's all, yeah, another and, reason why we do this. And you're hitting on what we like may not be what you Absolutely like. Matter. No so, question. And we encourage people to take our ratings apart. We make some assumptions on what the big stuff would be. And that's the other piece. We talked about the, you know, the infotainment. We talked about the interior. The big objective data, how does it drive? How does it excel? How fuel does it break? What kind of fuel economy? Those are the big hitters in the overall or in yes. the road test score. Yes. Those are going to make some big difference. The infotainment might be a deal breaker for one of us, right. but may not matter so much. So we encourage people to kind of take those ratings apart of what matters to them. Right. They may look at it and go, that's the coolest car. Looking, I'm okay, I'm gonna live with you know some the, the touchpad and all that that we didn't care for. So it, we wanna give the information so that you can make a judgment based on right. our ratings. And that, well, that's one of the cool things yeah. about our ratings is, is uh, I've said this before on the show, but you can go across the ratings and look at you know, what sections matter to you? Right. Does ride really matter to you? Does, you know, yeah. uh, seat comfort really matter to you? Or do you want low noise? And, you know, so you can look at all that or, or maybe it's zero to 60, whatever it is. Right. But you can kind of pick and choose comparing different cars with our ratings for, you know, what aspects of it are really important to you. And, and from a day-to-day -day standpoint, we might judge a seat very comfortable or visibility good. But if it doesn't fit you right. as the owner and yeah, driver of the car why we every have day, multiple people it really do it, right? it doesn't matter what, what well, that's, we say. Right. That's the other thing. It has just, to fit you. Right. We're going to move on, but just touching on that, we have many different bodies Testers. sit in, right. the, in the cars, <laughs> and it's it's a combined score. Right. It's not just one person says it's great. One, per 
it could fit one person really well and not fit another person. Right. And then those scores get mm -hmm. combined, they get averaged out and all that kind of stuff. So, so, it's, so, so take your time in the test drive. Yes. We always say that. Yep. Yes. All right, let's move on to another question. This is from David Q. He says, what car would you recommend for a newly minted driver? A car with blind spot monitoring and rear cross traffic alert or a car with automatic emergency braking, lane keeping assist and adaptive cruise control? Jen, you're one of our safety engineers here yeah. at the track. Uh, I'm going to throw this to you. What do you What do you say? Ideally, David, we'd love to have you get it all. I think we've always said for new drivers, young drivers, get as much safety as you can afford. I'm assuming that they've narrowed it down and they've got it either either or. So in this case, I think I'm going to recommend the automatic emergency braking. And I say so only because things like rear cross traffic alert, we love blind spot. The rear cross traffic alert tends to be a more slow speed parking lot type of protection. You're backing out of a space you can't see. Probably less um, less likely for likely a fatality, for a fatality yeah. or an injury without it. Blind spot. I'm assuming the driver's young. He can still have plenty of motion to look. You know, make make. And I would encourage you to teach him to look when merging. The automatic or her. Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> automatic emergency braking probably has the best benefits in terms of preventing um, injury fatality for a new driver. Right. Yeah. I, I, no question. The rear cross traffic warning, uh, you know, it's, it's gone it's, off for me. It's gone off you know, for it's, me. It's a com As those systems are a combination spot. of yeah. a warning and also uh, some of them will also break the car for you if, if it senses a car coming from behind you. Right. Super helpful. But life-saving, you know, not not as critical as automatic emergency right. braking or forward right. collision warning together. And you know, IHS uh, has statistics on these where forward collision warning with what they call auto brake or we call automatic right. emergency braking uh, reduces front to rear crashes by fifty percent and front to rear crashes with injuries by fifty-six percent. Right. So I mean, those are big, important numbers. I, I, yeah, I was I was just going to say I think when it comes to Consumer Reports recommending safety equipment, it's all driven by data. I remember right. what, you know, one of our morning meetings, our, right. our, our boss, Jake Fisher, came in and said, you know, we have new data on, on some of these active safety systems, and it's clearly showing forward <laughs> collision warning and automatic emergency braking are worth it. Right. And hence, we have given more points to mm -hmm. cars right. that and bring this on, on standard. To that end, blind spot detection, which we call blind spot warning. At some point, we've got to get all these right. names the same. <laughs> We're working on it. Uh, IHS says blind spot detection gives 14% uh, uh, reduced, 14% fewer uh, lane change crashes and 23% lane change crashes with injuries. Right. So it's it, it's important, but it's not to the level right. of, of uh, forward collision warning and automatic emergency braking. So with that, we're gonna wrap up this episode. We wanna remind you, keep sending those comments, questions, video submissions to talkingcars at iCloud.com. If you wanna learn more about the cars and the topics we talked about today, you can click on the show notes. Uh, for the beautiful Jennifer Stockburger and the zany Mike Quincy, I'm playing old Mike Monticello saying thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.